This is a West Gippsland Week podcast. We, many of us, will face the necessity of having various aged care services. And, of course, there have been recent uh, announcements that are aiming to improve our system. And as regular listeners will know, we've had regular conversations with Professor Sarah Charlesworth, who has provided us, I think, with some clear understanding of and directions for our aged care system. And I was pleased again to catch up with her recently to talk about the recent announcements and their potential adequacy or not. Uh, Following the federal uh, budget, it's uh, very pleasing to speak again with Professor Sarah Charlesworth from RMIT, who is our go-to person these days to look at the aged care work system. So thank you very much for giving us your special time. Pleasure, Paul. And and I will mention that that we have interrupted uh, a bit of a holiday for you to do this, so it it is very generous of you. Um, But um, I I guess, uh, at least according to the Council of the Ageing, it seems like the government budget did take at least some steps towards uh, implementing the uh, recommendations from the Royal Commission in Aged Care. Is that how you would would see it? Well, um, I wouldn't be as generous as the Council of the Ageing, and indeed I note that even the the provider peak um, employer groups um, have also been less generous. I think you could characterise the federal government as picking and choosing which recommendations it wants to follow through. Now, that's, to be fair, that's partly the result of um, a Royal Commission report where you had some disagreement between the two commissioners on um, things as fundamental as how aged care should be funded into the future and some of the um, perhaps uh, bureaucratic and structural um, policy architecture for for aged care. So Commissioner uh, Linnell Briggs was going from much more having an independent authority, uh, whereas uh, Commissioner Tony Pagoni was more about fixing up the system that we've currently got. Both, however, did agree that um, there needed to be serious work done around the aged care workforce um, in terms of increasing the... um, pay and the conditions, certainly done by frontline workers, but also nurses, because nurses in aged care are paid on average about 30% less than they would be if they're in the public hospital system. So that there are very, there are very large gaps um, there. So really the the federal government has promised some extra funding. It's um, once again promised some more um, uh, aged care packages for home care clients, but that's not really even touching the sides of what's needed. The opposition has uh, spoken about uh, supporting the um, outcome of the work value case that the Health Services Union and other um, aged care unions have before the Fair Work Commission. It's a work value case, basically arguing that um, based on the increased value of the work that's performed by aged care workers, and this case will also um, flow on to nurses that there is um, that they certainly deserve a pay increase and for the frontline workers the union bid is an, ex- an additional five dollars an hour so that would raise people from around about 22 to about um, 27 dollars an hour as a kind of entry entry level but you know it's it's everything's depending on what the fair work commission does there 
Notably, the federal government has not um, has not said anything about that. And in fact, disappointingly, and I think we might have discussed this last time, at the end of last year, the um, major stakeholders in aged care, so that's the likes of Council of the Aging, but also other um, aged care peak organisations, the all the employer peaks in aged care and the unions got together and made a statement to the Fair Work Commission all supporting um, uh, the work value case. All um, There's no argument from the employers that the value of the work hasn't increased. But interestingly, the uh, federal government refused to take part in that discussion, is not party to that consensus statement, and is refusing to make a submission to the Fair Work Commission. Um, and I think the concern is that without the federal government making a submission and at least indicating even lukewarm support, the Fair Work Commission itself is not going to make um, uh, a decision unless they know that employers have got capacity to pay. And so the employers, the peak, um, the peak employer groups are saying very loudly, if, if there is a wage increase, we, we don't have any money. It would have to be funded by the federal government. And the federal government is um, being a bit cagey and saying, well, if it happens, let's, let's wait and see and let's see what providers can pay and let's see what, if anything, the federal government would have to pay. Um, but I did find it interesting that in that consensus um, statement that the providers agreed with the unions and the other groups that this system should be transparent. Now, at the moment, uh, what happens to the money that providers currently receive is totally non-transparent. We don't know exactly how much is spent on wages. Um, yes, you, you and your listeners would be aware there have been um, various studies that have shown despite the additional $10 um, a week increase per resident in terms of to provide better food, we've got absolutely no idea if that's been spent on the provision of um, better food for aged care residents. There's some indications that it has not been, but I suppose what is glaring is that there are no accountability mechanisms. There's absolutely no transparency. So in this consensus statement, the providers are saying, we, we agree that if there is additional money given to fund wage increases, we, we will be transparent about how that money is spent. Um, as I understand it, the government is proposing a, sort of as a step towards that transparency, a, a star rating system, which will, mm. without sort of uh, saying exactly how many, for instance, I think it's be based largely on the, the minutes per resident per day, um, of 200, I think. I don't know where the, the number pops up from. Really. I think, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So there, there'll be some sort of star rating system which will um, uh, score nursing homes at one out of out of five for their delivery on, on at least that. But it doesn't, it's sort of not completely transparent yet. It's sort of just no. there, there's this somebody does a score and publishes it, uh, but you don't know exactly what it means in a sense, do you? No, you don't. And in fact, the score will be against a whole lot of different criteria. So um, staffing is only one of those. And there's no indication that the minutes per resident, um, minutes of care per day per resident, which actually was a recommendation of the Royal Commission, that the federal government is putting that in place a year later than recommended by the, um, was a two-step process recommended by the Royal Commission. Um, 
so there's ap- 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 absolutely no um, no definite agreement that, that that the minutes per day will form part of that criteria. And as you say, how that rating is done, by who it's done, and um, the federal government will leave that, I think, with the... Um, um, the quality agency, the aged care quality agency to do. It hasn't been very successful so far with their um, aged care standards. So there's nothing in of itself that's going to make the system um, transparent unless distinct mechanisms are put into it. And quite frankly, unless providers are required as a condition of funding um, to actually state how they've spent their funds. Now, the... Um, government, if you like, is the head contractor in aged care, and he absolutely has the power to require all aged care providers to do anything to uh, account for every single cent that they get, um, account for every single cent they get by breaking it down into um, various areas like, um, you know, accommodation, uh, medical medical support, uh, allied health. That was a big uh, concern of the Royal Commission that Allied Health was had been basically leached out of the aged care system. So people's access to physios, podiatrists, um, OTs um, is certainly more unusual than um, not in the Australian aged care system. This is a West Gippsland Week podcast. And we're continuing our chat with Professor Sarah Charlesworth from RMIT, who is our go-to informant on the issues around the aged care sector, and in particular, the workforce issues around that sector. We've just had a look at the government's uh, response in their budget, and uh, now uh, we'll see if the ALP's uh, reply uh, is uh, substantially better. Look, it, it's certainly moving in the, in the right direction, but I think one of the critiques of um, the Labor government is that it, it, it said it would look at the Fair Work Commission's decision and it would, um, you know, contribute to the funding, but they haven't put a dollar amount on it. And I suppose to be fair to the Labor Party, that's hard without the Fair Work Commission actually coming up with a quantum um, but I am reminded of the last case in the um, care sector, the community services sector back in 2012, where the Fair Work Commission had an equal pay case. And basically, um, it was a deal done between the unions and the Gillard government. And the Gillard government, even before the Fair Work Commission made its decision, said, right, we'll put two and a half billion aside to meet um, to meet the wage increased wage costs out of any Fair Work Commission decision which meant the Fair Work Commission knew that it wouldn't be making a decision that could never be put into or could never be implemented. If Labor is returned, then presumably um, uh, they would be required to put in a submission to the Fair Work Commission and indicate if they were going to actually meet all um, all the associated costs because it's hard to work out exactly. We've got very poor data. One of my bugbears, Paul, is we've got very poor data about the workforce uh, aged care workforce in Australia. The Department of Health ran a survey, a workforce survey last year, which didn't go to any workers, just went to providers. And it's a very peculiar survey with um, uh, a vast overestimate of the number of workers we've got because they've made all kinds of assumptions on people's working hours. As we've discussed before, frontline work is characterised by short part-time hours and um so that you, when you're thinking of um, how much uh, the case would cost, you really have to think of two things, both the existing 
workers now who would see presumably a wage increase, but we all agree we need a whole lot more workers. And so one of the advantages of having higher wages, it will act as both an attraction and retention mechanism, a far more sensible one than the, than the bonus uh, payments, which have been roundly critiqued. Uh, so that will be, I think, something uh, to, to watch and see post-election. Um, I think if the um, Morrison government's return, then it will be, well, it'll be extremely interesting to see what, what will happen because uh, providers are screaming at the moment to have increased wages being supported. They're also screaming to have um, various uh, migration programs to bring in um, additional workers. But you know, what are we doing? We're condemning the migrants who would come in to poor quality jobs. So I really think that we need to think about that. Um, and if it's hard to get um, workers who are here, and there's a mix of, we've got a large micro workforce in, in aged care, uh, particularly in residential aged care, um, over 50% of workers were born overseas, then um, we need to be making sure that they have good jobs um, rather than just saying, oh, well, look, we'll leave you and we'll just bring in other workers who, who, who may be prepared to um, work for poorer pay, poorer conditions. I spoke recently with the uh, Nursing and Midwifery Federation um, and, mm -hmm. and, and I put to them that, that there is a, a, an issue of lack of workforce uh, and one of their points was that if the conditions were right, um, many in the field uh, who are currently working, say, in, in hospitals would actually prefer to work in aged care because uh, they feel uh, that it's, it is back to nursing care, uh, with a capital C, um, rather than the sort of more, for want of a better term, technological operation that, the, that they currently do in hospitals. Does, does that ring any bells with you? It, it certainly does. It certainly does. I mean, I, my work is focused overwhelmingly on the non-professional workforce, but nurses I've spoken to have, you know, reluctantly said, you know, I love my job. I love working with older people, but, you know, I, my family and I can't afford this anymore. You know, I've got to go and get a, a job that's paid better. And that's often in the public hospital system, you know, so that they're kind of better off in, um, in, in, in a hospital setting. So that is, I, I think that absolutely rings true. And it rings true for the frontline workforce. I mean, people um, talk a lot about how meaningful and important they find this work. Um, and a lot of frontline workers will say to you, you know, it's a pity that the community doesn't recognise um, this work as valuable, but we know it's valuable because we know uh, older people and families depend on us. Um, which also leads to a lot of distresses we've talked about before for these workers, because if you're understaffed and you simply don't have the time to spend with older people, uh, develop a bit of a relationship, you know, get to know someone, get, get to know how they like to be fed or bathed or, or, or whatever it is, then, then it's fairly mechanistic care and um, workers know that residents and uh, clients don't like it and um, they also don't like giving what they view as substandard care. You know, the majority of the frontline workforce, unlike quite a few countries, actually have certificate level three training. Now, it's basic training. Um, a small proportion have done certificate level four, which will be specialised dementia care, for example. But one of the big issues with training is that to date, workers have had to do this on their own time. And once they have an additional certificate, 
the pay doesn't change. There's no there's no recognition of um, having additional skills requiring um, an extra pay level. Whereas even in um, childcare in Australia, if you move from having a diploma to having a degree, well, it's not a huge pay increase. Your qualification does mean that you have to be paid at a higher rate, and the same for nurses too. So when nurses, you know, when they have their registered nurses uh, nurses kind of qualification, and then um, advanced qualifications past that, they are actually um, paid, once again, not enough, but paid in recognition of having that additional training. So I absolutely think that we have to be committed to ongoing um, ongoing training and also ongoing support for the workforce. I mean, one of the things that I'd really like to see in place is given the nature of the work that aged care workers do, a decent supervision system, and by that I don't mean performance management, but um, having some, you know, once a week, once every two weeks, you meet with your um, supervisor and he or she says to you, well, you know, how's it going? And you say, well, you know, these are my clients and I'm a bit worried about Mrs. X because of because of this, or um, I'm wondering how I ought to handle this particular family dynamic with this family and this resident. So you've got somebody who can act as a bit of a sounding board. The other thing we need to remember is that um, the people who use aged care are older and, as I said before, are, um, are frailer, and the reality is that they die. And the lack of... Um, Recognition or support, I think, for lots of workers when a client, particularly with whom they've got a very close relationship, dies is incredibly hard because people people grieve. Um, and just having somebody that you can talk to about that, I mean, some of the better providers uh, are all over this. They, um, they you know, will uh, have a celebration of someone's life, you know, um, you know, invite the workers who are most closely working with that particular person, invite the family, um, and so that there's an acknowledgement um, both of that person but also acknowledgement particularly of workers, and this goes for nurses and frontline workers, who are there with people through end-of-life care. And sometimes that's formal palliative care, but sometimes it's literally just holding somebody's um, hand as they, as they start to die. Um, and... Workers really need quite a bit of bit of support there, and um, you know, getting across ways of being able to handle that um, everyday nature of death in aged care, I think, is um, incredibly important. As well as the complexities, as I said before, you know, you've got aged care residents and clients, but you also have family members who may not see eye to eye with their um, loved one or there's disputes among family members about the care of their loved one, this often leaves the worker or the nurse as the meat in the sandwich. They'll be having, you know, the elder son or the elder daughter telling them what should be happening and they'll know themselves what the older person actually wants, which may or may not align with what their family members want. And that, that can be hard for people to negotiate. Okay. Thanks very much. Um, and uh, as I have said several times now, um, we, you, we've interrupted your holiday to do that, and I greatly appreciate that. Because as I've sure. said before, um, I really appreciate your your clear explanations of, of what's going on. Um, so we'll release you back to your uh, grandparent duties and, um, uh, and, and uh, wish you well and uh, uh, see you when you get back. Okay. Many thanks, Paul. Bye. 
So it seems we still need to bite the bullet on what is really required for a fully adequate aged care system and be prepared to fund it. As I said earlier, you've interrupted a family holiday to, to chat to us, and I'm greatly appreciative. Um, but uh, you, you happen to be in, in Canada, which you we have, again, spoken about before. Um, and uh, even though it's a holiday, I, I'm sure you haven't been able to resist uh, having a look at what's happening there. Um, and that provides us, I think, with in your view, a bit more of a, an encouraging model uh, we should be looking at. Yes, in, indeed. So, Paul, as I was saying, in um, Canada, aged care is organised at the provincial level, not, not at the federal level. So what's happening in all the different provinces is, you know, um, very, very different. But British Columbia, where I currently am, has been the most adventurous. And one of the things that they did when they did as uh, Australia did um, for reasons of infection, uh, put in place single-site working, uh, in order not to disadvantage workers, they said, right, well, we're going to make sure we're going to fund all workers to be paid the same amount um, that workers are paid in the government run. Because in um, in uh, BC, as, as in Victoria and Australia, the um, state or provincial government are the direct um, operators of aged care. And in both Victoria and BC, those workers are paid considerably more than people who are employed by the for-profits or not-for-profit sector. So BC said, right, we're going to level wages up. So they've got this expression levelling up and it's going to be levelled up to the, the public sector um, benchmark. So for entry-level workers, that sits at about $25 an hour. And that's pretty good if you think that here the minimum wage is 15 an hour. And even for people who are covered by... Um, enterprise agreements in for-profits and in not-for-profits, the wage is about between $18 and $21 an hour. So that's really levelling up quite a few workers because two-thirds of workers are employed in the for-profit and not-for-profit sector. Um, so, And that's ongoing. So the, um, the BC government um, has committed to ongoing um, levelling up. So it's not just a once-off COVID initiative, which has happened in lots of countries and our bonus payments have essentially been, and I see just checking uh, what's happening around that, that they actually finish on uh, April the 15th in Australia. Um, so uh, this is a commitment to ongoing um, funding and money has been put aside in uh, last year's uh, budget. Um, last year's provincial budget for both the levelling up and also additional training places, which is interesting talking about um, the, the um, training, um, you know, dimension. Okay, thanks very much. Um, and uh, as I have said several times now, um, we, you, we've interrupted your holiday to do that and I greatly appreciate that. Because as I've sure. said before, um, I really appreciate your, your clear explanations of, of what's going on. Um, so we'll release you back to your uh, grandparent duties and, um, uh, and, and uh, wish you well and uh, uh, see you when you get back. Okay, many thanks, Paul. Bye.